that you are always there for us. You are always waiting and that we truly can become alive when we just allow you in and allow you to completely take over. Pray that you would open our hearts this morning. Help us to hear what you would have for us in your name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping this morning. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northridge. We're glad you guys are here. Uh, today, you know, it's just kind of, I don't know about you, but uh, we were talking about this, and, and I even prayed this this morning because I was feeling a little bit that this was true. Uh, but I feel like uh, sometimes it's easy to get in routine. You guys get stuck in routine uh, very easily. I, I tend to get, I, I'm a kind of a routine guy, uh, and so I get stuck in routine a little bit. And, and so uh, my prayer this morning was very simply before service that, that this is not just another Sunday. Uh, because it's easy to wake up and say, oh, it's Sunday, got to go to church. And for me, like it's easy to get up and, and say, okay, I got to go preach, I got to go do my thing. You know what I mean? It's easy to do that. I can easily do that. It's maybe like when you get up on Monday and, and you have to go to work and you're like, you take the same route and you get your coffee at the same time and you get it from the same person and you give them the same change and you do all that. You know what I mean? And it just becomes something that we do. And so my prayer this morning is that for me, for you, uh, that today we just meet with God. We just meet with God. And that it's not something that we do, but it's something that God does in us. Uh, and that's, so that's my hope and my prayer. So I'm just kind of giving you uh, that that's what the hope is today. That's what the hope is every day. But I think it's just a little bit more on the radar today. I don't know why. Uh, but it's just one of those things. So we'll see what God does. Uh, but for those of you who are here for the very first time, I know we've got several of you never been here before. So welcome to you. We're so glad that you're checking us out, taking a risk on a new place, a new church. So thank you for doing that. Um, we want you to know that this is a safe place for you. No matter where you're at with God, uh, whether you believe in God, be- believed in God for a long time, maybe you're just kind of starting it. It's a new thing for you. Maybe you're here and you say, I don't know what I believe. I really don't know if I believe in God, the Bible, all that stuff. But I I'm here, I'm checking things out. Um, No matter where you're at, this is a safe place for you to dig in, to ask questions, to find out what it means to follow God, follow Jesus on a regular, daily, relevant basis. Um, So we're glad that you're here. Uh, I want to start jumping in right away this morning. There's a conversation in Matthew chapter 16 between Jesus and the Apostle Peter. You probably heard of Peter, right? He's, He's kind of the most famous uh, disciple, really, out of the 12. Peter's the guy that we usually hear about. Um, so Peter and Jesus are having a conversation. And the reason I want to start by reading this conversation that they have is it sets up the brand new series that we're starting today. Okay, So I want to introduce the series by telling you kind of the, the basis, the conversation that, that we're talking about today. All right, So Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But, you know, Jesus couldn't take the pat answer. So this is what he says. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, or Peter, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter. He just changed his name, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer. So Jesus and Peter have this conversation, and we're going to start a brand new series today called The Rock, The Life of Peter. And so for the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack certain elements, certain stories, certain pieces from the life of Peter. And this conversation is kind of our foundation, our basis for this, that that Jesus calls Peter the rock, this rock that I'm going to build my church upon. And so Peter's this, this grand, this huge thing. But the truth is that, that throughout Peter's life, he, he was sometimes a rock and sometimes he wasn't, right? He was a typical human being. Sometimes he got it right, sometimes he just didn't. And so he was back and forth and up and down. And, and so this is one of those things. In this series, we're going to talk about the failures. We're going to talk about the victories. We're going to talk about the stories, some of the words that Peter says. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff about Peter's life. But you and I, what our goal is in this series is that we learn to become a rock in our faith like Peter became a rock. That's the goal, that's the hope through this series, is that we become rocks of faith. So, when we think of becoming strong, when we think of becoming stronger, uh, or, or anything, if you start thinking of just strong things in this world, you might think of a lot of things, but let me give you a couple of mental pictures of strong, really strong, powerful things. You might think of skyscrapers. All right, I, I do. I send that we go through Chicago all the time. You think of a building, you think of something that's extremely tall, extremely powerful, very strong, built very strong. Okay, a skyscraper is. Uh, you might think of maybe something different. You might think of like an aircraft carrier or a battleship, something like that that's extremely powerful. I mean, if you look at that, look at that thing compared to the buildings. I mean, you could fit several of those buildings on that thing. I mean, that thing is just huge, it's massive. Okay, an aircraft carrier, all those things, or a battleship, it's huge. What makes these things strong is a material that's placed within those things. You know what it's called? Steel. Right, you've heard of steel. We've all heard of steel. Steel is a, it's a very powerful, very strong metal, very powerful substance. And so here's what I want to do today. Last week, I don't know why I'm in this mode. God just must be messing with me. I think that's what it is. But last week we did some parallels with the Declaration of Independence. Remember that? We did some parallels between the Declaration of Independence and how we find freedom spiritually in our lives. Well, today I want to do a similar thing. I want to do some parallels between the process of making steel and how you and I become stronger in our faith. There's some interesting parallels between how steel is made and between how we are made rocks in our faith if that makes sense. And so I'm going to give you three parallels between steel and us becoming rocks on our faith. So we're going to just jump into the first one. The first parallel, the first truth about making steel, but also about becoming rocks on our faith is we need to realize it's a process. It's a process. Now, this is not mind-blowing. This is not like, oh, wow, it's a process. Like, it takes time. Like, we have to work at it. Yes, it's a process. Now, this is, again, this is not new revelation. This is not something new where we go, oh, wow, I can't believe it. It's a process. Oh, glad I showed up this morning. Thanks for the brand new insight. No, it's not a new insight, but it is something that is true. With steel, you know, I can't just come over here, push a button, and like, it spits out steel, Right? 
It, it doesn't just like push a button or flip the switch and steel happens. There's a process. Now, this is more history than you're going to want to know, but it's called the Bessemer process. It's named after a guy named Henry Bessemer who came up with the process of how to make steel. Okay? But there's a whole process that goes through from the heating of the, of the metal and, and they have to blow hot air through it and there's this whole process to it. It takes a while to make steel. Well, the same is true for Peter. The same is true for us. For example... Jesus and Peter have this conversation. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. But what is interesting is when Jesus says this to Peter, Peter is anything but a rock. He was not a rock of faith at all at that point. He was a mess. Peter is one of those guys, he's just, he just has all kinds of things. If We're going to talk about some of his weaknesses here today. But Peter's just a mess. And he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But at the time when Jesus says it, Peter's not a rock. Hey, he's just not a rock. And so what made Peter the rock was a process. He had to work with Jesus for a, quite a long time in order to become a rock in his faith. Now, what's the problem with the process? Why did I say that the first point is that it takes a process? If we're going to grow deeper in our faith in Jesus, if we're going to grow stronger in Jesus, what is, that it's going to require a process, why is that important? Is it, is, why is it difficult for us? Well, the reason I think it's difficult is because it takes time. We do not like to take time, do we? In this culture, we don't like to take time. The truth is, I mean, let, let, me, let, me, let me illustrate this for a little bit, okay? Because some of you maybe don't believe me, but we don't, we're not patient. We are not, I know I'm not patient. But you guys are not patient. We're not patient in this world as human beings, but also in our culture. Did you know the American culture? We are not patient people, right? Other people look at our culture and they're like, they never stop like they're just going crazy how many of you when you get into the grocery store okay and you get all your items right you're you, i mean you went there for five and you end up with 20 right that's how that works so so you go in you got your cart and how many of you when you look at the checkout line you choose the longest one how many of you choose the longest line that you can find like you you scan you look at all the things that are open and you look at the one that's kind of bending because you know there's no room it's all across the aisle how many of you choose the longest one of course we don't Right? You look for the shortest one. And how many of you do this? How many of you check out the checkout person and you see how fast they're moving? <laughs> Some of you have never thought of this before. You're like, that's brilliant. Some of you are like me and you're just kind of impatient and you're like, I kid you not, this happened yesterday to Laura and I. God is just hilarious because he messes with me. So we're in the store and we're buying several things and Laura picked the line. She, it was the shortest line, so she picked the shortest line, but the checkout person, I kid you not, was a sloth. <laughs> or is in the sloth family. I mean, like, just like, mm, beep. You know, and it, I mean, just moved slower. To, I, I almost got sick for a minute. You know, I was like, oh, and I looked at her. She looked at me when she saw what was happening and she knew. And I said, mm -mm. <laughs> we're going over here. And we went to a slightly longer line. We made it through before the other person because she was just like, beep, 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 beep. you know, she was fat. We were not patient people, right? I mean, how many of you love to see brake lights on the belt line or on the interstate? Like a parking lot. Or do you like, thank you, Lord. I just, I wanted to spend some more time in the vehicle, you know? No, we don't. How many of you are like this? Uh, I, I'm like this. Now you're getting to know my personality a lot, right? How many of you like when you click on things on the computer and you see these, these symbols? How many of you love that? Like that just gets you excited. You're like, oh, it's loading. 
this is awesome. My kids, by the way, my kids, they actually love uh, when computers, you know, are loading. You know why? Because they love to see the thing spinning and they love to watch the bar. It just drives me. This, this is, here, we have some pictures. This is how I feel. That, that's, that's how I feel when computers are loading, right? This is, I'm like, ah, I kid you not. I maybe don't do this. Actually, I don't do this because I'm a stuffer. You guys learned that a couple of weeks from me. I'm a stuffer, and so I feel this way. I just don't do that, right? But in this, inside, I'm ready to throw the computer through the window, right? So we just don't, we don't take time very well. We don't like processes, okay? This is, for example, and this is, this is just one of those things, it's funny, I laugh at this all the time, but this is why like weight loss stuff or fitness stuff, they, they promise to you, spend $19.99 and you will lose weight in three weeks. You know, you're going to lose 10 pounds in three weeks. I mean, that's what it is. And did you notice, uh, let, let, me, let me just put it this way, if I want to sell fitness stuff, what I'm not going to do is I'm going to say, you buy this, $39.99 and you will lose 10 pounds in five years, I promise. You know how many people are going to buy that? Nobody will. Why? Because they're like, I want to lose it like before summer, which is in two weeks. Right? And that's what we want because it, it's got to happen now. So we want the thing that's $19.99. It might cost less or it might cost more, but it says you're going to lose 27 pounds in one hour. Do this and it's just going to fall off. It's going to be awesome. Right? Why do we do that? Why do we believe that stuff? Because we don't want to take the time. Because it's a process. It's hard. Well, the truth is, guys, that growing in our faith is a process. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes repetition. Okay, just like building muscle, it's the same thing. It requires this. The truth is, and let me just tell you how the process works. It's very simple because we make it more difficult. We're like, well, I need to study the the Bible and and I need to pray like 12 times a day. And I need to, you know, we make it very complicated. Let me tell you what the the, the simplest form of growing in your faith is. When God asks you to do something in your life or stop doing something in your life, you start listening and you actually obey it and you actually start working at it, that's when the process starts. It's pretty simple. When God says, hey, stop doing this or start doing this, put this in your life, it'll help you. You will grow. Or stop doing this because it's destroying you. It's making you weaker. And when God tells you those things, when you know that it's destroying your life, when you know it's pulling you away from God or it's not, it's, it's somewhere where you need to go and you're not going there, when we agree with God and we listen to God and we start that, it begins a process. And you know what happens once you win in that little battle? Whatever that is that God convicted of you, once you win there, you know what will happen? The process starts again. God shows you something else. I know, isn't that fun? He shows you something else, and then when you win in that, then he shows you something else, and you win in that, and then he shows you something else. And all of a sudden, a year later, three years later, five years later, your faith faith is, faith is, is quite a bit stronger and different than what it was before. But here's the deal, guys. Here's what I think we do. I think that we never open this. We never do, outside of church, and usually not here because we have it on the screen. We never open this. We rarely pray, and if we do, we just throw up token things. Or we pray when things are bad, but not other times. Like in the summer, when the weather's good, we're like, well, life's good. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, things spiral out later on. And then we start praying. And we don't do these things. We don't show up at church. We don't get involved in a, in a church community. And what happens is we expect our faith to grow. Can I tell you it's not going to? It just won't. You can, you can hope that it will. Like wake up the next day and be like, my faith is stronger. It's not going to unless we work at it. It's a process. It's a process of where we continually surrender to God more and more each day. Us trying to do that. Let me ask you this. How many of you would say that going, you know, once a week or, or let's just say once a month, going to the gym and, and pumping out, you know, the put on 245s on there and just, you know, 12 to 15 reps, right? And then you're like, and then you're done. You walk back out of the gym and you're like, man, my muscles are going to be huge. And the next time you show up is like a couple months after that. And you're like, man, my, my muscles are just going to be awesome. How many of you would expect that? None of us in here would. But that's what we do. We open the Bible about once a week or maybe uh, once a month or maybe never. Or we just throw up token prayers every now and then. And we expect our faith to get stronger. We expect to build spiritual muscle. Can I tell you, it's not going to happen unless you're lifting. It's not going to happen unless we are putting in the effort to really surrender ourselves to God. I know that's hard, but we all know it's a process. The problem is that we just don't commit to the process. Sometimes we just don't do it. And so we've got to realize it's a process and submit ourselves to it. All right, second parallel. We need to push the weaknesses out. We need to get the weaknesses, the impurities out of our life. So steel, do you guys know what steel is? Steel is very simply, it's not a different metal. We call it a different name, but it's, there's actually, it's not a different metal. It is actually just iron. Did you know that? Steel is actually just iron. But what it is, is it's iron that has had all of the weaknesses removed from it. So if you just take pure iron, there's a whole bunch of carbon and, and all kinds of air pockets and all kinds of stuff in iron, which makes it weaker. Okay, so what we do is we actually use a process, again, the process, there it is again, okay, and we use that process to push all of the carbon, all of the air pockets, all the weaknesses out of the iron, and you know what we're left with? We're left with a stronger version of iron. We just don't call it iron anymore, we call it steel, okay? So steel, all it is is purified iron. Well, the same is true for Peter. The same is true for us. In order to get stronger, sometimes one of the biggest things that needs to happen is we need to have allow God to push some of the weaknesses out of us. Say, P- Peter was like this. Let's, let's just talk about Peter for a second. Okay, Peter is known for the guy who almost drowned because he took his eyes off of Jesus. Do you remember that? He gets out of the boat, he's, you know, he tries to walk on water, and, and he sees Jesus, but then he gets scared, and he starts sinking, and he needs Jesus to kind of pull him out, save him. Peter almost drowns because of his lack of faith, not so much a rock. Well, kind of like a rock when he started sinking, but you get what I'm saying, right? No rock of faith there, though, right? Peter's also known, there was a, there was a time, in fact, it, was, it happens right after that conversation that I read in Matthew 16, where Jesus tells Peter he's going to be a rock, Okay, this proves that it didn't happen yet. Just a few, a little bit later, just a few verses later, Jesus and, and, and Peter are having a conversation, and Peter says something so wrong to Jesus. Basically, Peter rebukes Jesus. By the way, Jesus is God, so he pretty much knows what he's doing, 
right? And Peter kind of rebukes Jesus. Peter, Peter calls Jesus out and says, Jesus, that's not going to happen. That's, we're not going to. And it's so wrong that Jesus, I, I sense that maybe there was a little frustration on Jesus' part, but he actually calls Peter Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. He just said, this is the rock on which I'm going to build my church. And then he calls him Satan, right? He's like, man, there's some weakness in there that we've got to push out. And then, of course, Peter is well known, sadly, for being the disciple that denies Jesus three times in the time of Jesus' greatest need. Peter's the one that lies to three different people in a row. No, I don't know that man. I do not know him after everything that Jesus had done with Peter and for Peter. And Peter says, nope, I don't know it. He does it to save face. Peter had a ton of weaknesses. But you know how he got rid of those? Through the process. Through the process. The New Testament talks about that we need to get rid of our weaknesses. Ephesians 4.31 says this. It says, get rid of all bitterness. Hey, that's, that's, that's things that have happened to you. Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words. And slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Why does it say this? It's because God knows the weaknesses will destroy us. They will, they will take us away from God. Okay? Then it says in 1 Peter, by the way, this is actually Peter writing these words, so he has something to say about it. He knows his own weaknesses, and he knew God has already pushed him out, but listen to what he writes in his own book when he put this in the Bible. 1 Peter 2.1 Peter's own words. He says, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Do you know why Peter wrote that? Because Peter had a problem with every one of those. Every single one of those things that he just listed there in 1 Peter 2.1, Peter had a problem with those. Those were his weaknesses. But they got a lot better, and they diminished a lot because of the process that he went, allowing Jesus to take control of his life. So Peter knew what he was talking about here in, in this book of Peter when he writes this. He says, get rid of those things. They will kill you. They will destroy you. You've heard the phrase that you're only as strong as your weakest link. Have you heard that phrase? Usually coaches use it for teams. Sometimes coaches just throw it out there because it's at halftime and they're losing. And they're like, I don't know what else to say. You're only as strong as your weakest link. Right? And it just sounds good. But the truth is that that statement is true. And it's true for teams, but it's really true in our own spiritual walk, in our faith. That we're only as strong as our weakest link that we've allowed in our lives. So let me just pause for a minute and ask you, what's your weakest link in your faith? If you were honest with yourself and God, what would be your weakest link currently? Yes, I'm letting you think about it. Because we all have them. Every one of us. What's the link that's keeping you from a deeper relationship with God? Because we can always go deeper. Always. All right, third and last parallel. To grow, we need to realize that it's a process and we need to work in that process. We need to get rid of our weaknesses. That's certainly important. But then there's a third thing that's really important too. We need to add strength. 
We need to add strength to our lives. And this really can only come from God. But going back to the steel-making process, so we know it's a process. We know that the weaknesses are removed from iron, which is what makes steel. But did you know what the strongest types of steel are? You can buy different grades of steel. Right? So if you need steel to do this, then you can kind of get this style of steel. If you need it to be a little bit stronger, then you can get this. But the strongest family, I don't know what you call that, of steel that you can get, that you can actually buy, the strongest versions of steel are steel that have not only had the weaknesses removed, but they've had other metals added to it. They've added nickel or chromium or some other types of metals, and it's called an alloy. An alloy is very simply when you combine two or more metals together chemically. Okay? Steel, the strongest steel is when you take the weaknesses out and you add in other kinds of metal and make an alloy, and those are the strongest steels. Again, the same is true for you and I. We not only need to get rid of our weaknesses, but we need to add strength to our faith. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 talks about this. This is what it says. It says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. In other words, to be strong. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So this is telling us two things. First, it's telling us that all the trouble we see, all the struggles that we have to face, they do not actually come from things that we can see. They're coming from evil behind it. They're coming from evil that we cannot see. That's the first thing that it says. But then it's also saying that we, in order to fight those things, in order to combat against those things, we need to put on the armor of God. We need to have strength in our lives. We need to add faith to our lives. And what it says here is we put on the armor of God. Now, this is usually, you know, we use this kind of, uh, th- these verses for kids' classes, and we make, the, you know, the, the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace and the sword of truth. And, you know, they come out with, like, cardboard things that have it written on there, you know, which is really cool, by the way. And that's what we do. But after this paragraph, that's what it talks about. It talks about the different versions of what is the armor of God. When it says put on the armor of God, what is it talking about? It's talking about truth. It's talking about integrity, honesty, how we live our life. He's talking about peace. We're not talking about political peace. We're talking about peace that comes from knowing that you're good with God. It's a peace that we can't experience unless our relationship with God is good. It's talking about the Word of God. It's talking about the Bible. Uh, Did you know that this is one of the pieces of the armor of God? God gave us this because He knows we need to battle against all those things that we can't see. And so the Word of God is our, our truth, our sword, to be able to do battle against the evil in this world. It talks about a lot of other things. It talks about righteousness, right living. It talks about our faith. It talks about all those things. So these are the strengths that we need to put on. Now the question becomes, for you and I, maybe you've heard the armor of God, but how do you put it on? Right? Because it's not physical. It's not like I have a a closet where I have the armor of God sitting. Right? I don't have it sitting in there and be like, okay. You know, that would be weird, wouldn't it? What What if I did that? What if I had like an actual armor of God and I showed up like to have lunch with you guys, you know, throughout the week and be like, I'm here. I've got the armor of God. Let's have lunch. Woo! 
Greetings. How are you? You know, it wouldn't, it would be weird. <laughs> this is just how my mind goes. I know. Just roll with it. Right? It'd just be weird. So what is it? What is the armor of God? How do we put it on? It's very simple. The things that we've been talking about, the process, working out. If you want to get fit and if you want to get stronger, you've got to tear your muscle so that the muscle builds more muscle. That's how we do it. That's why when you lift, it, it tears the muscle. Then your muscle has to repair it and it builds muscle. You get stronger. The same is true in our faith. The only way to build faith is to make sure that we take risks to get into the word even if you don't like it. Even if you don't understand it, trust me, I get into here and half the time I'm not sure what it's saying. And I have to look it up and I have to study and I have to call somebody. I have to ask them be like, so what does this mean? Okay. And I get it. We've got to take risks. We've got we've to spend time in prayer asking God to show us what he wants to do in our lives. Did you know that God has all kinds of good things for you? He's just waiting for you to ask him. Because sometimes he forces it on us, a lot of times he won't. And so we need to put on the strength. We need to put on the armor of God. So this process of pushing out our weaknesses and adding our strengths is an important process. The truth is, Peter had to go through this. The Apostle Peter. He's no different than anybody else. We've talked about his weaknesses. But now I want to go fast forward and I want to talk about when he becomes the rock. Because Peter eventually got rid of a lot of his weaknesses. Not perfectly, but he got rid of a lot of them. He added strength of faith to his life. And how did he do that? By staying and close to Jesus. And so fast forward to the end here. Jesus has died on the cross. He rose from the dead three days later. He's been seen by hundreds of people, including the disciples, several times. And Jesus is about to ascend to heaven like... Gone, you know, that would have been cool, by the way. Okay, and he's about to ascend to heaven, and he's talking to his disciples and a whole bunch of other followers who have just accepted Christ and all that kind of stuff, have been walking with him. And he says this. This is what he tells him. He says, okay, here's what I want you to do now. I'm giving you the mission. I want you guys to go back to Jerusalem. You're going to wait at the city of Jerusalem until we send my presence, the Holy Spirit. Okay, You're going you're gonna to sense that God is with you in the version of, in the, in the form of the Holy Spirit. When that happens, then I want you to leave Jerusalem. I want you to go out, and I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in other words, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, okay, God's presence is going to come on you in a miraculous, powerful way. When that happens, and trust me, you're going to know it. I'm sure the disciples are thinking, okay, how do we know? And God's saying, Jesus is saying, oh, you're going to know. <laughs> you're going to know. And so you're going to wait on that, and when that happens, then you're going to go out and you're going to tell everybody about Jesus. You're going to tell everybody about who I am. And so they all go back to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, okay, they're all waiting on God's presence. They're all like, okay, when's it going to happen? They're all there, and in Acts chapter 2, all, there's a ton of people gathered. Tons of people are gathered. And they're all there, they're just waiting on this, anticipating this to happen, and all of a sudden, God sends the Holy Spirit. And there's this pretty, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's this dramatic moment where there's tongues of flame that appear above everybody's head. And they, they, start, they start speaking in foreign languages that they never knew before. Like, it'd be like me all of a sudden talking, and all of a sudden I start speaking in Spanish to you, which I don't know. 
And all of a sudden, and, and I start speaking Spanish just like immediately like that. And every one of you understand Spanish. Just like that. Everybody starts doing this. Everybody starts speaking in different languages and they actually understand everybody just like that. That doesn't normally happen, right? That's just not normal stuff. This is God's Holy Spirit, God's presence there. So then, but as you can imagine, okay, let's just say I started speaking in Spanish all of a sudden and all of you started understanding it. Would you be a little freaked out? Yeah, we'd be a little freaked out. Everybody's freaking out a little bit. Like, what is this? This is the presence of God, but they didn't know what to do. And so somebody's got to stand up and say something. Somebody's got to stand up and make sense of this. Somebody's got to organize this because this is crazy chaos. You know who stood up? Guess who stood up? It was Peter. Out of that whole place, the guy who denied Jesus, the guy, all these, he stands up and he begins, you know what he does? He does what you should do. He starts preaching, right? He starts preaching. And so Peter gives his very first public sermon to that huge crowd of people. He starts preaching. He tells them all about Jesus. And then I want to pick up in Acts chapter 2, 37 through 41. Listen to what happens. This is really cool. This is what, this is what happens. So he stops preaching for a minute. And this is what it says. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied. He had an answer. This is because Peter has become a rock. He's gone through the process. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. In other words, it's to everybody. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. I like this guy. I like that guy. He's preaching for a long time strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Then catch what happens. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Okay, just catch what happened. Did you catch what happened? Okay, this is the same guy who denied Jesus three times. This is the same guy who Jesus, God himself, said, you are Satan, get behind me. This is the same guy that almost drowned because of his lack of faith, because his faith was so weak. But through the process of getting rid of a lot of his weaknesses and adding some strength, Peter had become a rock, and then he gives his first sermon, his first one, And 3,000 people come to Jesus, and they baptize him. Can you imagine that? That's a good day. 3,000 people accept Christ and are baptized that day because of what Peter says. And yes, I know, it's the power of God and the Holy Spirit through him. But it's because God had worked a lot of things in Peter's life. He had become a rock. The truth is, God wants to do those things through you. Some of you are sitting here and you don't believe it. You say, no, they don't. He doesn't want to save 3,000 people through me. Yeah, he wants to do something just as amazing, if not more than that. If you read the Bible, you listen to who God is, he wants to do amazing things. It's not a question of whether he wants to do unbelievable things with us and through us. It's how willing we are. See, Peter 
Peter had to learn submission. He had to learn surrender to Jesus. He was he was hot-headed. He was impatient. He, was, he said the wrong things at the wrong time most of the time. <clears throat> I mean, Peter was a mess. And Jesus straightened him out. And then he is able to preach his first sermon, and 3,000 come to Jesus. God wants to do the same thing with all of us. He wants to use you to reach your coworkers who are lost. They're just mad at the world and mad at life. Maybe they're lost because life is falling apart around them. Maybe their marriage, maybe their kids hate them. I don't know. But you guys know them. God wants to use you to reach those people, but it only will work if you allow yourself to be the vessel, to be the conduit, to be the, the, the one on mission, to share the love of Christ, to share the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. But we've got to be willing to risk it. We've got to have boldness. We've got to live our lives for Christ every day. It's a process. And my question to you is, will you submit to that process? I can't think of a better way to end this message than what we're going to end today. We're going to end with communion. And the reason we're going to do that, it fits today because of this. The only reason you and I have the hope, the opportunity to serve Christ and to go through the process of learning how to become more like Jesus, the only reason we have the hope of being able to do that is because Jesus first went on the cross and died for us and took our sins away. If we so accept it. If we have accepted that, then our sins are forgiven. That's what the Bible tells us. So today, we're going to wrap up by taking communion. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to remember the fact that Jesus took your place, took my place on the cross, the punishment for our sins so that we didn't have to. And all he asks is that we believe in him by faith and that we declare that he is Lord. That's all he asks of us. So today when we take communion, let's join together and let's celebrate the fact that Jesus died for our sins. But let's also remember that the sacrifice that was paid for us gives us freedom in this world from sin and gives us the possibility, if we accept it, to spend eternity with God. Here in Northridge, we practice open communion. So if you're wondering, um, that simply means that it doesn't matter what your background is or what your denomination is. Um, You can uh, take communion. All we ask for you to take communion is that you believe in Jesus, that you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's all we ask. So if that is you and you want to do that, and by the way, if, if you're not sure and you, you know, communion is kind of a new thing to you. you it's, it's not required. <laughs> okay, we're not going to be watching and be like, uh, those three didn't take it, you know. Don't worry, you don't have to take it. It's not, you, it's not a pressure thing, you have to. But for those of you who Christ is your Lord and Savior, this is how we celebrate it. This is how Jesus told us to celebrate it. And so we're going to do this. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a final song. And during the song, the table's over there. They're all set up for us. They're going to be open. And you can go over there, and it's very simple. You just take a piece of bread, dip it in the, in the juice, and, and partake of the communion. If you want to stay over there, 
during you know, the song and pray or, or you know, just spend time thinking, God, please do that. We'd love to have you do that. This is between you and God. This is not us. This is just between you and God celebrating what Jesus did on the cross for you. So during this song, please do that. There's a gluten-free table over there if you need that. Uh, it's labeled over there, so please do that. Okay? But let's just spend the next, the last few minutes here celebrating, remembering, and reflecting on where our life is with God and really honoring Jesus for who he is and what he's already done for us by dying on the cross. Will you join me in that? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for loving us so much that you want to push us through a process. Because I know, Jesus, you know this, but we need to learn this, that, that through time, through a process, through, um, through you just um, working the weaknesses out of us and adding the strength, you make us who you know we can be. And I pray that, um, I know a lot of us are, I know I'm like Peter in some ways. I'm, in, I'm impatient. Um, I just I want things to happen right now. I, I say the wrong thing sometimes. I do the wrong thing sometimes. I pray that you would help us every day to surrender more and more of our life to you. That, that when you show us those things those areas that we're holding on to a little bit more, that that you would help us to release those. To get rid of our weaknesses, to add strength to our lives so that our faith every day grows. And now as we, God, we set this time aside because you've called us to do this. You've asked us to do this. You did this first with your disciples and so we are still celebrating it 2,000 years later. God, as we Take the bread. May it remind us that this is your body, which was broken for us. And as we drink the juice, may it remind us that your blood was spilled, was poured out, was given for the forgiveness of our sins. That because of your death on the cross and your resurrection from the grave, we have hope of eternity with you. We thank you for that. So be with us now as we take communion. May we worship you. May we honor you. Thank you for loving us, God. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Communion.